telling you, keep on singing for Jesus like that. You blessed our hearts tonight. I want to just tell you as we open up tonight in prayer, I ask that you all would join me in prayer. I believe the numbers from those affected by the earthquake in Haiti have just become astronomical. I believe it's over 1,941 people have been killed post that earthquake. And now many people are walking around in floodwaters. And I ask that you and I remember the saints there, remember our brothers and sisters in Haiti today in prayer. And we're also going to do something tangible to be partners with fellow believers there to help the saints there and to recover from that which the tragedy they are experiencing right now. I bless God for you. Bless God that you joined us here tonight for this Bible study. Pray with me. God, we are grateful to you and for what you're about to do. For the anointing of God that works in us, have your way. Speak afresh in this place, Holy Spirit, and take complete control. And we give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. I love each one of you, even as we are prayerful for our brothers and sisters and prayerful for what God's about to do tonight. I want to talk a little bit tonight again from the theme, Living Faith in Stressful Times. This is part 21, Living Faith in Stressful Times. For those of you following along with us, we're in chapter 37 of Genesis, chapter 37 of Genesis. Um, chapter 37, and I guess we're also going to be in chapter 38 of Genesis as well. But let's start in chapter 37 and finish up a point that we were making last week as we discussed this uh, move of God. I said to you last week that chapter 37 begins to transition uh, to the lives of the children, the next generation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now this next generation that is going to carry forth the plan of God, they become in focus. And um, as I examine the text, I can definitely see some things that God is showing us and revealing to us about humanity, about human nature, about how we act, how we participate in the world. And, and if you notice closely, in chapter 37, there are three main characters, and that's Joseph, Reuben, and, and I say Judah. Now, of course, there are other people in, in the chapters, and you know, beginning with Jacob and beginning with other family members, but, but Joseph, Reuben, and, and Judah play key, pivotal roles there. And these three main characters of chapter 37 can be broken down into their human traits into their human traits. And that's important that we would uh, see that as they are there, lifted up, and they represent for us parts of humanity and not humanity at its best, but humanity at its worst and at its best. It's, it's both and and not either or. The character of Joseph, which begins with dreams and ends with his being thrown in a pit and ultimately sold into slavery. That, that character of Joseph rep represents human redemption, 
human redemption. And, and in order to have the redemption that God is about to bring forth into the earth realm, this character of Joseph has to deal with three things. He deals with suffering, he deals with sacrifice, and he deals with silence. Suffering, sacrifice, and silence. Now it's important, and hold that for a moment on the screen if you will, that, that's important to see that because he, not only does he see God spiritually, and that's a part of it, but that's not the key. He ends up going through suffering, being thrown into a pit, being mistreated by his brothers, being talked about, being accused and, 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 and derided. And he ends up suffering from that emotional stress, suffering from what they say to him, do to him, and how they ultimately make him feel. They are suffering. And then he is thrown in the pit only to be bought out and sold into slavery and he, we will later discover, is sacrificed. He is sent ahead of his brethren with the express purpose of ultimately saving them by what will happen to him there in Egypt. So he is sacrificed. But there's another piece to this suffering sacrifice. It is silence. Now God has spoken to him in dreams, God has given him word, God has kind of showed him that he's going to be in an elevated position, but we don't hear God saying anything, or it's not written in text where God says anything to him when he's in the pit, or God says anything to him when he's pulled out of the pit, or that God says anything to him while he's traveling with the, the, the band of Midianites. We don't hear anything related to that. And that's interesting to me that there is no, there, there's no communication from heaven. And, and, and so I wanna point out to you one of the things that is hardest to deal with when you're in the midst of struggle um, uh, people are saying they have some feedback tonight. The, the, the hard thing to deal with in the midst of struggle is the fact that sometimes there is silence, that God is not speaking, that they're not hearing from God, that God is not saying anything, that God is not coming through. Uh, and, and, and I don't know what it is that causes um, us to get unnerved by the times when God doesn't speak. If he spoke to you before, and if he blessed you before, don't think that he's not going to bless you now. So that the silence should not upset you. It shouldn't put you into a, a tizzy. Saints, the AV team is on top of it. Brother Solomon and, and Sister Jojo, they up there pulling together now. Uh, what you have to realize is, that there are times in your life when God is not speaking to you, but God is doing for you. God is going ahead of you. God is taking care of it. God is working on it. God is moving in a new direction. God is taking you to a new place, to a higher level. So don't be upset by the silence. 
So Joseph represents suffering, sacrifice, and even the silence of God. But, but then Reuben, which is another human character trait, Reuben represents human regret and remorse. Human regret and remorse. Now remember this, Reuben has committed to making bad decisions. His bad decision to go in and sleep with his father's wife, that decision put his life on a, a trajectory that would not be healthy. He made a bad decision. He, not only does he make a bad decision, he makes a decision he is regretful of and remorseful for, but not all regrets can be reconciled. Not all regrets can be reconciled. You have to know that some things we do in life can't be fixed. I, I you know, I've, I've had times in my life where I've tried to tell people, look, if you do that, there's no coming back from that. And, and in their fit of anger, they did what they, what they wanted to do because they wanted to prove that they would do it. Well, you do it, but you do it to your own detriment because there's no coming back from certain things. You can say certain things to people that even when they forgive you for them, there's no taking it back. There's no fixing it. You can't make it better or wish it to be better. There's no changing it. So you have to be careful to guard your tongue and guard your actions that you don't get into situations that are irreparable. When, when Reuben uh, goes forward and, 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 and sleeps with his, his father's wife, even though he has this great plan, and, and we've all been through it, we've read it, uh, he has this plan where he's gonna save his brother from the pit and then bring him back to his father. He, he later gets back to the pit and he discovers his brother is not there. And he knows his plan to get back and reconcile with his father has been thwarted by other situations and the actions of other people. And now he has no hope of ever reconciling. And by the time we get to chapter 49, when the blessings are being passed out, we hear his father in his final breath speaking over his son's life in a dramatically gruff and gruff manner. Some things we do in life, we may regret them, but we can't reconcile them. And, and so I, I, I try to tell people on the front end, don't do it. If you do it, the only thing you can do is to not only express regret, but at some point ask for forgiveness. I can't tell you you're going to get it in the way you want it. You will always get it from God. But in terms of, uh, of a relationship broken, that relationship and the place of brokenness may never be the same. I want to give you an illustration of this. And, and, and please, uh, all of you um, remember that old uh, Betty, I think it was Betty Davis movie where uh, uh, Mommy Dearest, she hated wire hangers. 
and, uh, and, and she, there, there's that famous line in there, and if it wasn't Betty Davis, somebody help me with the name. There's a famous line in there where she says, no more wire hangers ever, and she goes to slamming, she hates wire hangers. Well, there's something about wire hangers that we've used all the time. People, when you think of a wire hanger, uh, take a quick moment, think of anything related to a wire hanger, and what do you think of? Some of you will say something to hang clothes on. Some of you who uh, are back in the day will remember we used to open up car doors with wire hangers. If you locked your keys in the car, the old latch on the car used to have a little round bubble on top of it. So you could, if you could get in between the window and the rubber seal, you could stick it down the wire hanger and loop it around there and pop the car door open. You could. And the wire hanger worked really well. The good thing about wire hangers was they were pliable, you could use it. Um, I hate to tell you this, back in my youthful days, I, I got branded. Uh, yeah, never mind, that's a whole other story. Wire hanger, the, shaping it. You, you, you have to realize wire hangers were used for a lot of things. But there's one thing about wire hangers that teaches us a lesson. Whenever you begin to manipulate a wire hanger, thank you, Sister Regina, Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Whenever you manipulate a wire hanger and you unfold it, you, you pull it around, you stretch it out, you bend it up, it, whenever you do that, you remember this. You can never put it back the same way it was. It never goes back, thanks Flo, it never goes back to the same shape. Once you unshape it, you can put it back together, you may be able to use it again as a hanger, but it never goes back to the same shape. That's what happens when you do certain things in life. You may regret it, be remorseful about it, but it's like a wire hanger. Even if it goes back together, it will not go back in the same shape. So be careful now. Be careful about what the decisions you make because some things are not able to be fixed. And then Judah, and then Judah. Judah represents human reasoning or rationalization. Human reasoning or rationalization. And, 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 and we can examine Judah, and he's gonna be the, a major focus of our talk tonight. We can examine Judah by his selfishness. That's the motivation of self-interest. What's good for me? What feels good to me? What makes me feel better? What I like? His self-righteousness. And, and, and let me tell you, I want to say this again. And his secular strategy. His selfishness starts out with, with my desire. And all of us fall in Judah at some point, and we act like him. Amen. Thank you so much, Darlene, for letting us know it's better. It's a blessing to realize that, yeah, sometimes we get selfish. You've got to break yourself from it. Selfishness motivated by your interests only. But that self-righteousness where, you know, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to, I'm going to come back to it, and you're going to get it even better when we get into chapter 38 in just a moment. You need to realize there are ways of which 
you can become so self-righteous that the only sins that are forgivable are the ones you commit. Let me do that again. The only sins that are forgivable are the ones you commit. So everybody else's sin, uh, they, they, they can't be forgiven. But if you commit a sin, uh, well, that can be forgiven. Or it should be forgiven. And anybody that doesn't forgive you has done you wrong. But, but anybody else, because you are self-righteous. Matter of fact, you, you get to the place where you put down everybody else for their sin while knowing you've got sin at lying at your door. And then his secular strategy. And that is the fact that it's easy to think with your flesh. It's easy to think not, uh, not according to what spirit would be, according to scripture, according to sacredness of life. It's easier to think in secular ways. And for us, as we shift now to chapter 38, and this again is, 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 amen. This again is important because Judah exhibits what has to be considered some of the best character and some of the worst character of all of his brothers. He ends with the best, but he starts with the worst. We know he ends up in a better place because he becomes the person and individual that is able to stand as an intermediary between his brothers and Joseph when they get to Egypt. He becomes the person that is the spokesperson for the entire clan. And he argues very well and advocates for the family and advocates for his siblings and advocates for his youngest brother and even advocates for his, 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 his father and his father's life. It is important that we understand who Judah is because Judah and his household are going to be the descendants that are going to be the ones to hold up the family line. For all of the, the blessing that Joseph brings in, Judah is just as important and more important, and we're gonna read that in a few moments, is more important because he will carry on the family line. Remember now, Reuben loses his place. And if you think of Reuben as the eldest person and he loses his place, you can't automatically think that Joseph got Reuben's spot being the second to the last born. He doesn't. He has a miraculous place. He has a, an important place. But it is Judah that ascends and receives the blessing that would have been in the life of Reuben had he not been so nefarious. And according to Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 through 16, you've got to remember this. He says there, he says, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. This is prophecy about what's going to happen in Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterwards, and they shall come out with great possessions. Prophetic word about Egypt. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
Judah becomes pivotal to seeing that the prophetic word that is given here is fulfilled. Genesis 37, verse 26 to 27, notice that it's Judah. Judah spoke up on behalf of Joseph. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother, conceal his blood, come and let us sell him to the Israelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brothers listen. So it is Judah, it is Judah. In Genesis 44, it will be Judah again that speaks. And I'm not gonna read at all, but get down, begin reading at verse 16. And in verse 16, Judah begins to advocate this Genesis 44, verse 16 through verse 34. It is Judah that is the chief spokesman. It is Judah that is advocating, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also, with whom the cup was found. But as he said, and he begins to advocate and intercede, and, and on behalf of Judah intercedes for Benjamin in verse 17. It's important you see this role for Judah. Again, this is in Genesis 44, 16 through 34. And then we come down to, and you've got to hold this all together to get this whole lesson tonight. When we get to Genesis 49, we get to the prophecy and the laying on of the blessing of the father to his sons. And here's what he says to Judah. Stay with me now. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12. And you're going to understand how pivotal Judah is in Israel's history. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. What? His name means praise. You are he your brothers will praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Your brothers are going to look at you in a certain way. Judah is a lion's well. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, you shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from beneath between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Oh, wait a minute. That's interesting. Let me, let me just, and before I move on, I need to read verse 10 again. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter is the, the place of power. The scepter is the, hand, is, is, the, is the symbol of power. The scepter shall not, uh, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Deep, y'all, deep, y'all, deep, y'all, deep, y'all. Let's get it going. I, I want to I talk. I'm, I'm going to push over to chapter 38, and we're going to do chapter 38 in the next 25 minutes or so. So hang with me. It's going to be tight, but we're going to get it done. There are three keys that point to Judah's sorrow and the beginning of his salvation. Because you got to remember now, when we really read about him in 37, he is not advocating against 
Joseph being, being uh, sold into slavery. He's telling them to sell him into slavery. He's advocating against their murdering him, but not against their selling him into slavery. Not against making a buck on him. He's not this great character that we hear spoken of in chapter 49. He's not the one that, that, that ought to be the leader and, 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 and the scepter in his household. No, he's got some things in his life that are broken. And he's got some things in his life that are messed up. And I wanna talk now. I said three keys that point to Judah's sorrow and the beginning of his salvation. The first key is this. It is the deceit which leads to death. And that's Ur and Onan. Deceit which leads to death. That, that's the sorrow in his life. That's part of his sorrow. Now let's, let's, let's look at it real quick, real quick. You need to get the story in order to get the ending of the lesson tonight. Now at the time, I'm in chapter 38, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. No, I think I'm reading actually from the Amplified Version. Now at the time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a certain Adulamite named Harab. Now understand something before I move on. The Adulamites are Canaanites. Now he's hanging with the Canaanites, so he's already out of order. He's in a place he's not supposed to be. There Judah saw a daughter of Shua, a Canaanite, and he took her as his wife and lived with her. So now he's already done another thing wrong. He done married a foreign woman. He married a strange woman. Okay. So she conceived and gave birth to a son, and Judah named him Ur. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a son, and he named him Onan. Again she conceived and gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Chesbed that she gave birth to him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him in judgment. Ooh, now that starts to sorrow again. Now he's, he's already on land now. He's, he's starting his sorrow journey. He's, he's now, he, he's, he's lost his eldest son. The Lord killed him, and he, he didn't just die. He died at the hands of God as a judgment against sin. Then Judah told Onan, go into your brother's widow and perform your duty as a brother-in-law under the leverage marriage custom. Now this leverage marriage is interesting because it was practiced in those days as the way of bringing up an heir to a deceased brother and the first child born to that wife or woman would be, would be the child of the brother as a part of inheritance, saint. So that, that child would be in the line with that brother. Now that's interesting because it gets codified for us in the book of Deuteronomy as something that they would do, raising children to their brothers. Now Onan knew that the child heir would not be his, but his dead brothers. So whenever he lay with his brother's widow, he spilled his seed on the ground to prevent conception. I don't need to go in this deep, but simply to say, he went in for the enjoyment 
but he did not go in to procreate. So he went in, he went in recreationally, but not procreationally. And the deceit part is, she was under the impression that he was there to produce an heir. So for her, the intimacy would not have been intimacy of affection or love because hopefully she was in love with her, his brother, Er. She was there transactionally. Listen, you got to get this part. She was there transactionally recognizing that her tie to the family and to any inheritance with the family would go with her conceiving a child from the family. So that any dowry that had already been given to the family at marriage, any, any blessing or gift given would not, would not be returned to her family. No, the only way she would be in any way taken care of would be within her new familial collection with this man's household. It was a transactional relationship accepted in that society. It was not a situation of sensuality, of sex. It was not, it was not lascivious. It was not lustful. No, it, it, if you compare it to what happens to, to Joseph as Potiphar's wife comes after him to lie with him, she, she wants to do the nasty because she wants to feel freaky. She is not trying to, no. In this case, this is a transactional relationship to raise up a seed to his deceased brother. Stay with me tonight. I'm about to blow your mind. I know this is getting better and better. Now, now come on. We got to work a little further. So now, when he spills his seed upon the ground, he is defrauding her. And he's also defrauding what he has done with her. Because now, he is now pleasuring himself while taking from her the gift of her womanhood and entering her flesh, knowing full well he is not committed to doing what he's there to do so that he would not give her a child for his brother. Now, God doesn't like ugly, but what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him. I'm in verse 10, for those of you following. He killed him also in judgment. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at your father's house. Now he done sent her, she done slept with her and, and didn't have any children. She done now slept with, with, her, with this boy Onan, has no children. So she's been with two men that they know of. And now she has no children. And now she's being sent back in disgrace to her father's house. Now, with the, with the proviso, listen here, here we got, get this now. With the proviso that you remain a widow at your father's house until Sheila, my youngest son, is grown. But he was deceiving her, for he thought that if Sheila should marry her, he too might die like his brothers did. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So we've got deceit that leads to death. Deceit that leads to death. 
And it, it is, it, yes, it's right. By defrauding her, by, by deceiving her, he has, Onan has taken his own life from himself. Because God doesn't like ugly. You know, I, I often tell people, you ought to thank God you live in the, in the season or the dispensation, I should say, of grace and truth. Because the God of the Old Testament didn't play. He was like, uh, excuse, excuse me, God, hopefully you're not offended by this. He's like homie the clown. You know, homie's favorite line, homie don't play that. God don't play that. God, God, yeah, hey, you did, bam. Yeah, he, he, just, he just bring the law right down on you. you either you're going to do or you're not going to do. If you're not going to do, it's over. Thank God. Because some of us would have been dead a long time ago. Because judgment from God then was quick, fast, and in a hurry. Okay, so we have deceit that ends in death. But, 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 but the second segment of this text, as we are being challenged by it, we have desperation, which leads to degradation. Desperation, which leads to degradation, and that is the role of Tamar. Desperation, which leads to degradation. So we're in verse 12 now. We're in verse 12. We're in verse 12 desperation which leads to degradation. Now notice now, Tamar is living again with her father. She's at her father's house. She's, she's waiting for him. Sheila is growing up. He's now a grown man. He's walking around and, and nothing has been done. Let's read the text and we'll get into it and I'm going to make all this clear real, real soon. But quite a while later, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, he went up to his shearers at Timnah with his friend Harah, the Adulamite. Now remember now, he was with Harah the first time when he found his, first, when he found his wife. So now he's with Harah again. So of course, he's probably in town scoping for a new wife. He, you know, he, was, he was with his cut buddy before, and he did pretty well. Probably figured I'd get with him again, and maybe I'd get me some female companionship, get me a new wife. Tamar, now notice now, people are watching you. Tamar's being watched by the townsfolk around her, and people got in her ear. Tamar was told, and I think because people were sympathetic to her cause, listen, your father-in-law, they don't even call him by his name, He's your father-in-law. Is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's clothes and covered herself with a veil. We don't know where she got the idea from. We just know what she did. Covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself up in disguise, and sat in the gateway of an Ebnon, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife, as Judah promised. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a temple prostitute. She thought, he thought she was hooking. For, for, for she had covered her face uh, as such women did. He turned to her by the road and said, please come, let me lie with you. Now, there's, there's nothing, stay with me for a moment because this is a struggle for us in 21st century. There's nothing in the text that tells us about the morality of this activity. 
By the time we get into the New Testament, this is a part of what, what Paul says to the New Testament church who were going to temple prostitutes to see them, to relieve themselves. He said, this, this is out of order by the time we get to Corinthians. But I'll, I'll, I'll go back to that at another point. He goes here. She, she's covered. He turns in, said, come on. Can you, can you spend some time with me? For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She's all covered up. And she said, well, what you gonna give me? Now, the reason I pointed out that the relationship with Onan was transactional because what she is entering into now is another transactional relationship. She is clear. You want to come into me, but this ain't free. No money, no, okay. Listen, listen, no finance, no romance. What, what, what are you going to give me if you come, come in here? This is a transactional relationship. This ain't about love. This ain't about I'm needy. This ain't about I'm feeling myself. I've been waiting a long time. I haven't been with a man in years. No, no, no. This is transactional on her part. Woo! I know some of y'all sitting home freaking out. This is part of the Bible y'all don't usually read. I know, I know. It's still in the book, though. I'm in the book. I'm in the book. So he looks at her. She says, she said, what will you give me that you may lie with me? He answered. I send you a young goat from the, from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge? Said, you, you got, you, you know, I'm sure your credit's good where you come from, but I need something to hold on to as a deposit until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She said, your seal, your cord, and the staff that's in your hand. Now these are all distinctive items that would point exclusively to him. His seal would be the seal of his household. It would represent Judah and the family of Judah. He would be the one to carry the seal. Anybody seeing the seal would know it was his seal. His staff would be distinctive to him. His cord that he tied would be the sword that everyone would recognize of the head of household. So he gave them to her and was intimate with her and hot diggity dog. He sure enough was. He may have been old. There was gray on the top, but find him. This, he, he was old, but bullseye. He, no blanks. I mean, he, she conceived. Then she got up, said thank you, put up, put, 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 and, and removed her, went back home and, and took off her veil put her widow clothes back on, and when Judah sent the goat and his friend, the Adulamite, to get this pledge back from the woman, he was unable to find her. Now notice now, this is important you see this. Somebody had to tell her he was going up to Sheer Sheep, because she wouldn't have known. So that would have probably been the townsfolk. Somebody had to tell her where he was going, what road he was traveling, that would have been the town phone. Now when they come back now, after she's done this, stay with me now, nobody knows who she is. Everybody played dumb. Watch this now, watch this. Everybody played dumb. She, he comes there, they say, they say uh, 
Where's the temple prostitutes at the roadside in the, they said there was no prostitute here. They weren't lying, but they were covering. So he returned to Judah and said, I can't find her. Local men said there was no prostitute around. And Judah said, well, let her keep the things for the pledges, the articles for herself. He said, otherwise I'll be a laughing stock searching everywhere for her. He said, I sent it, but I didn't find it. Now, it's interesting here, and I don't want to spend my time, is really rolling. It's interesting here that she has been forced by her thinking into harlotry to play the harlot or to play the prostitute in order to get from him what he should have given her. And if you look at her simply as a woman who is, has committed prostitution, who has sold herself, who has done something wicked and evil, you miss the, the, the text and you miss the time. We need to put it contextually into her time. In her day, as a person who is now a widow with no children, after her father's death, her family would not have been responsible for taking care of her. She could have been left destitute by herself. Maybe a brother might have taken her in, but we don't know what her family relations were like, if she even had any brothers. She was put in a desperate situation and, and in her mind, forced to degrade herself to be with him. Forced to degrade herself. And I know she did it with the hopes that she was going to be going to conceive, and it was so. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, we get to the third point. And I told you there were three keys. Here's the third key. Disingenuousness, which leads to dishonor, and that's Judah. He's disingenuous. He's disingenuous. Oh, Mr. Holy, oh, Mr. Righteous, you, 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 Mr., you all that now. You know, I, 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 um, I, I get mad at people who do their dirt, and when they find out about somebody else's dirt, they act like they never did dirt. So it, it get, it, 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 it's, it's really, it's really awe-striking to me that there are people around who will, who will go around and act like I'm holier than thou. Okay, so, so when you were young, you were dropping it like it's hot. Now you can't drop it like it's hot. You gotta let it fall like it's warm. So you, you fool around here, and now you can't do what you used to do. So you are, you are now talking about everybody else. You, you, we need to teach, instruct, bless, surround, save. That we don't help allow people to get in these positions where they are caught up where, yes, they're in survival mode. Where they're caught up with limited choices, where they're caught up where they don't know what they're going to do, where they're stuck. She, this woman was left in a time and place there was no welfare system. There was no way for her to get any support from anywhere else. There was nobody else to take care of her. She was jammed up. You should feel some kind of way for her. And you should be mad about the men that put her in that situation. 
She'd be mad about Onan, who would not do right by her. Because even if she had had that child, that child, first child would have belonged to him, but every other child would have been. And it wasn't your place anyway that you were taking. You, you weren't, you, you, it wasn't your place, it was your brother's spot. So what difference does it make? Um, I want to move on. Disingenuousness, which leads to dishonor. Verse 25, and we're going to rush right through this. While she was being bought out, and you got to remember now, he, 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 he sends this thing to her. Verse 24 says, they discover that she's pregnant. And verse 25 says, they bring her out. Judah, of course, got mad about it and said, and said uh, while she's being brought out, she took the things that Judah had given her and sent them along with a message to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man whom these articles belong. Now, wait a minute. They, they take her in verse 24, and they bring her out, and they say to Judah, your daughter has played the harlot, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot, she's supposed to be a widow, now she's pregnant, she's played the harlot, and Judah gets all high and mighty, and he starts talking junk, selling wolf tickets, and now he wants to do what? He wants to kill her. He wants to kill her. Now, I, I just, man, you talk about being being unrighteous. Let, let me do this. 20, verse 24 says this. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the role of a prostitute. And she is with child because of her immorality. Well, people sure put it on you, won't they? So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned to death as punishment. Bring her out. She played the prostitute. Bring her out. Now, here it is. Thank you, Sister Phyllis. That's it. Deacon S. He, without sin, cast the first song. Listen, listen. He, he says, bring her out. And what does she do? She says, take these things over to Judah and tell Judah, this is the daddy of my baby. This, this is my baby daddy. Whoever owns these, my baby daddy. Now she doesn't realize it's about three months that you start showing. Now notice now, at three months she's showing, but she's also got some kicking going on. And the reason she's showing bigger at three months than some people, because some people can go almost nine months and folk never know they're pregnant, especially if you're wearing widow's clothes, you know they'll be big and floppy and they, 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 they look like you're in mourning. Listen, she couldn't hide it because she wasn't carrying a single baby. She was carrying twins. So because she's carrying twins, she can't hide the fact that she's been knocked up. Listen, when, they, when she brought the stuff out, Judah recognizes the articles, and then all of a sudden, his mind is open, and she says, You've been more righteous, verse 26, in this matter than I, because I did not give her my son Sheila as I promised, and Judah did not have intimate relations with her again. Whew. He's disingenuous. He's disingenuous. He has, he, has, he, has, he has been the kind of person 
who has now slept with his daughter-in-law, unbeknownst to him that is his daughter-in-law, albeit. But he's now disingenuous. He's ready to, to kill her. Now, he knows what was really, what's really terrible here. He knows he just slept with a prostitute. Now you want to kill her as a prostitute? Well, the only reason he could be trying to kill her, he couldn't kill her because she's been a prostitute. He has to kill her on the presumption of adultery. So that since she was promised to Sheila, she was automatically his wife, even though he had not consummated the marriage. So since she was promised she was his wife, therefore he could claim that she had committed adultery and therefore kill her. And now she says, no, you the baby daddy. And it's interesting because he is now, he's now pulled out and something comes forth. I don't have time to work these last three verses. My time is almost up, so let me, do, let me do them in a hurry. The Bible says in verse 27, 28, 29, she has two babies inside of her. Two babies inside of her. When the babies are inside of her womb, as they're there, they are, they are fighting. They are, they are tussling with each other. One baby puts his hand out because they're twins. And the Bible says that the midwife took and put a scarlet thread around his wrist. And that baby ended up pulling, verse 29 says, he pulled his hand back and his brother came out first. What a breach you have made for yourself to be firstborn. So he was named Perez, breach, break forth. Afterwards, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was Zerah, brightness. It's interesting these two that were happening, this two thing was going on. It's interesting what would happen. It's interesting how it would be. Notice now, I wanna give you a couple quick things that I'm gonna get out of your way. These twin stories, you have a twin story in, in Esau and Jacob and the battle of the twins. And the younger ends up serving, or being the leader of the older. You have a twin story in Zerah and Perez. And the younger ends up being servant of the older. Now, you, you gotta remember now, what you have here is, you've got two people. Genesis 25, 23, shall be separated from your body, one stronger than the other. It's interesting how this happens. It's interesting what takes place. Zerah is there. Perez is there. These twins come forward. This woman has a baby, technically out of wedlock with her father-in-law. And what one would have to conclude is that all of this is a patent place. All my children, general hospital, whole soap opera mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. But somehow, God is starting to work in Judah. And Judah is who God plants his gift in. 
And Judah begins his righteousness by recognizing his tokens and then by not sleeping again with the woman of God. Listen, 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 listen. Here's the final part here. Not only does he get, he get it, he realizes that he's been wrong. He doesn't just, you know, some of us, when we know we're wrong, we try to do it and tell people about it in the dark. We want to just whisper it, let everybody know, yeah, I was kind of a little wrong on that one. No, in front of everybody, he says, this woman, clear her name. She's been more righteous than I am. This woman, clear her name. She's been more holy than I am. This woman, clear her name. She's had more integrity than I've had. I want to clear her name. This woman is not the problem. I am. I promised her, Sheila, I didn't deliver. With the promise of the son to that woman was a promise of safety. It was a promise of security. It was a promise that her life would be preserved. And by not following through the promise, he left her in a mess and left her afraid. And she did something she shouldn't have done. Watch this. I'm closing. But what's really interesting is, go back to that text we read earlier in Genesis 49. That the scepter would not come out of Judah until Shiloh comes. Which meant that from Judah's line had to come from him. At some point, Shiloh. At some point, the Redeemer would have to come through his line. Judah, who through your line is going to carry on your name? Will Sheila have a child? No. It's not going to be Sheila. We know her didn't have a child. It can't be her. We know Onan didn't have a child. It couldn't be him. The, the child that he has with Tamar ends up becoming the child that would carry the line forward. Ends up being the child of the inheritance. Go, go with me real quick, if you will, to Ruth 4. Ruth chapter 4, verse 16 through, through uh, 22. I don't have time to read it all because you know the story of Ruth and Naomi. He said, they, 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 you know, the neighbor women came out. They got excited about, about Naomi's grandson. They, they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse. Well, if you get down to verse 18, it says, now these are the descendants of Perez. Uh, that, that's the Perez that was born to Tamar. That's the Perez that was born to this man Judah. That, that Perez, he, him, he was the father of Herzon, who was the father of Ram, and Ram was the father of Amenadad, and Abinadad was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz, and Boaz was the father of Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, and David, who was king, became the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me God won't take a light time movie, the soap opera mess, and turn it around and cause something good to come out of that which was seemingly evil. God knows how to turn it around. I said all that to tell you this. I don't care how bad your life has been. I don't care how many things have gone wrong. It ain't over yet. 
God can still make something good come out of that mess. This has been the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Woo! I love you all. I pray you all take notice. I thank God for you. Thank you for joining us tonight here. I'm, I'm just, I could keep going. I've got to get out of the way. I've tried to do a whole lot in a short period of time. I want you to know if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I always want you to get, get to know him. You can join with us. You can call us here at the church, email us, text us. Let us know you want to get to know Jesus or you want to be a part of this great fellowship. I want you to be a part of it. I love you now with the love of the Lord. And I know that the saints of God who are online, on YouTube and on Facebook, love you as well. Join with us. We care about you. And we care about the God that wants to be your God and wants you to serve him. I know this has been a deep lesson tonight. I pray you've gotten something out of it. I ask each of you to keep praying for one another. Continue praying for the saints of Haiti. Give tonight. Uh, in the benevolent offering. I'm going to take a special offering up in the next couple weeks for Haiti. This is benevolent right here. We will also use some of that money uh, along with what we raise because we want to do something blessing, a spectacular. We want to be a partner with the saints of God who are blessing the people in Haiti. We have got to show love to those that are going through at this critical time right now. I love you all. Please give, give LaFi cash app or mail it in and do that in the name of the Lord. Keep praying for each other. Thank God. I want you to keep praying again. You know, we're still praying for Brother Moses as he recovers from his open heart surgery. We're praying for those two hip operating sisters, uh, uh, Deaconess Joanne and Elder, uh, our dear Elder Holly. We're praying for them. We're praying for the Daniels and we're praying for our, our families who have lost loved ones. I ask that you continue to keep murmurs in your prayers. Please pray for my dear sister Nadine Brown. Hold her before the Lord. Amen. And I know most of you know Sister Dolores uh, Rogers lost several family members and has had to bury grandchildren and all that. Keep Sister Dolores in your prayers. Again, on Thursday, we will be celebrating the life of our dear sister Kathy Knopf. You can get the information uh, from your light and join us online via Zoom, or you can come to the sanctuary. We were going to have a, a special memorial service to remember her life and celebrate her. I love you all with the love of the Lord. Yes, Sister Candy, until we meet again, Shiloh Saints, we will get together. I ask you to keep praying for one another. We know that God has blessed us one more time. I appreciate our AV ministry, Brother Solomon and, and those up there, Sister Jojo, those. We thank you for pulling us back together. We know we had a, a little glitch there, but they did that so quickly. And I want to thank them publicly for pulling that together. God bless you. You know what time it is. We're getting ready to get out of here. God loves you and so do I. I'll see you. I'll talk to you, brother, on the prayer call tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Join me for prayer. This has been another one. As we get ready for Youth Day on Sunday and Youth Weekend, make sure you get your kids signed up to be with us on this Youth Weekend. It's going to be great because this is another one on behalf of Jesus Christ. You know what time it is. Go in peace. Peace of God go with you. Shalom.